We continue to worship the Lord with the reading of Scripture from 1 John chapter 1. We'll read together verses 5, 6, and 7. And then if you like to work ahead a little bit, you can be also be finding Matthew chapter 11 because we'll be there soon. There is life in what we're about to read. So, uh, the Apostle John writing late in his life, as we've been in 1 John studying through, uh, remember he's got a message for his church then, and he's got a message for us right now. This is the message, verse 5, we have heard from him. Any worthwhile message starts with the Lord. So we heard this from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If, maybe the biggest if there is, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What are you seeking? I pray it's the light. Where are you staying? I pray for you. It's in the light because that's where the Lord is. There's no darkness in him. So here's where we're going to start. Why would John say, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, if not for this reason, that's what we're very much prone to do. Are you in fellowship with him? Are you in fellowship with him? In a lot of ways, friends, that... Nothing else matters than that. Here's the good news. He has done everything for you to be able to have fellowship with him. So let's pray together, and then we'll head in that direction together. Father, I pray a few things. First of all, would you give us grace to see how astonishingly amazing it is that you, the God of all creation, would even want to have fellowship with us. May that humble us this morning. I pray that you'd work in such a way that when the question is asked, what are you seeking? With great desire, we would say, I am seeking to have fellowship with the Father through Christ the Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're studying through 1 John in a series of sermons called Walking in the Light. And uh, what, what we're learning is that as John's towards the end of his life, uh, he, inspired of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging us that nothing's better than fellowship with the Father. Uh, you hear that word fellowship again and again in the early chapters of, of John. And then John's really telling us, it doesn't really matter what you've got going on in your life. If you don't have fellowship with God, you're not really alive. Jesus has come that we would have life. As soon as Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to be God instead of God, they lost fellowship with God. That's the fall. That's Genesis 3. Eat this fruit, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you eat this, you get to be God. You don't need God anymore. And when that happened, they lost fellowship with him. And you see, in Genesis 3, it's God who comes looking for them. They don't go looking for God. God comes looking for them. And we talk about great questions of the Bible. God asks them a question, where are you? What's the honest answer to that question for Adam and Eve? Where are you? The honest answer is, out of fellowship with you. 
We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. Well, they're walking in darkness. And it doesn't just affect their fellowship with God. You read Genesis 3, and it's true of us. It affects their fellowship with each other. You can't really have fellowship, healthy relationships with other people if you don't have fellowship with God. Because you'll start to kind of use people to get what you want. God restores, man, the good news about salvation is it restores everything. Adam, you remember before sin, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I love this my wife, and after sin, everything's her fault. And that's the human condition. God said his creation could have dominion over the earth. They sought to have dominion over God. And that's the, the root of all of the darkness in the world. But we have a God who stepped into the darkness. And in Matthew 11, I have an amazing invitation. So we'll look at that and then talk about receiving what I think is one of the most overlooked gifts that God has given us, which is the Sabbath. Don't worry, it'll all make sense by God's grace in a a minute. So uh, Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who gets the mail at your house? Okay, we got one person who fessed up. I go and get the mail at my house, right? You probably know, you probably know what time the mail comes. And when you go get the mail, what do you find there? Here's kind of what I find. I, I have an a, a operating assumption on my way to the mailbox. And I don't know if you're like this. There's probably not really anything that's really there for me. Except for the, for the bills, you know that. But, but there are things that are addressed to me. But they don't really come from anybody who knows me. Do you know what I mean? In fact, I've noticed, because uh, most of us probably operate under that assumption, that businesses and, and people who, who mail stuff uh, have gotten kind of creative in that they print your name as if it's handwritten. But it's really not. Have you noticed that? And every now and then, I took a, when they first started, I took it. Wait, is that, that's one of the things I love about December, because you get actual mail. You get cards in the mail from people that you actually know and things that you actually want to, to, to read. Here's the invitation. And so, so you have to decide this morning if, it's, if you're ready to respond to it. Come to me, here's the invitation, all who are weary and heavy laden. Is that, your, is that you? Let's say that's, that's me. Because what happens immediately for those who are out of fellowship with God, remember, we're prone to lie that we're in fellowship with Him, but here's how you can begin to know. Truth. Truth has to come outside of you, not from within you. Don't believe that lie of the the day. The truth's not inside of you. It has to come from outside of you. Here's how you know you're out of fellowship with God. You're weary, worn out, exhausted. I'm talking about at a soul level. That's what he says. I'm going to find, if you come to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. It's an invitation for people like Martha. Remember, we've been looking at her from Luke 11, who was so near the things of God. She's right there in the house. In fact, the Bible says she welcomed Jesus into her home but she was distracted. Distraction and weariness will always go together. Distracted from what? Distracted from Jesus. It's an invitation to to those of us who regularly find ourselves irritable, anxious, your soul's hurried all the time. That's kind of one of the verses we're grabbing hold of on these Sunday mornings, that love is patient. Another way to translate that word patient is unhurried. We kind of talked about maybe you're like me. Wherever you are, 
You're in a hurry to get to wherever you're supposed to be next. And once you get there next, you're in a hurry then to be on, and we don't even really know why. And we talk about hurry sickness. It's like a real thing in 2023. You go to the grocery store. What do you do? You start counting the numbers. I want to get in the shortest line. Why? Because we have bought into this concept that faster is better. And we're moving faster than we've ever moved before, but are our lives better for it? So friends, it doesn't matter how fast you go if you don't really know where you're going. Jesus says, you can come to me all who are weary. So we find ourselves in a day where many people would say, they're super busy, but have very few deep relationships. And instead, there's this increasing feeling of isolation all over the place. So is your soul constantly distracted or full of envy or full of discontent or full of worry? If so, good news. Jesus says, I want you to come to me. Here's the good news about Jesus. He doesn't say, I want you to clear all that up and then come to me, right? That's not what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. But notice what he says next. I'll give you rest. So there's a promise. But I do want us to see that the promise has a, a connection. You have to do something. Uh, if I'm honest, uh, particularly when I was a, uh, a young Christian, I wanted to do verse 28, but I did not want to do verse 29. Meaning, I'm all about coming to Jesus. But then here's the rub. When you do that, he's going to command you to do something, to take his yoke upon you. We'll talk about what that means in, in a moment. But I just want to give you this good news. I've kind of said it a couple of times, but I want you to hear it and receive it. You can come to Jesus. Isn't that good news? You can come back to Jesus. Somebody in the room might just need to hear this. He is willing for you to come to him. Before I got married to Julie, I did not know that taking things back to the store after you've purchased them was a thing. Like, I didn't know that you could do that. I kind of thought all sales are final. That's kind of the house that I grew up in. If you bought the shirt, hey, you got home, it didn't fit like you thought. Tough. That's, that was my mentality. When I got married, actually what I learned is Julie kind of goes to the store with the thought in mind, we'll bring it back if it doesn't work. Here, here's good news. Jesus, Julie's a take-her-backer. Jesus is a, I'll take you back. Do you know what I mean? Love is patient. Love is unhurried. I'm fed up with you. There is a liar. You know that, right? Liar. If we deceive ourselves, as First John says, so don't believe this lie that you've gone too far. You know the prodigal. Why do we love the prodigal? Because it's, it's, it's so much how we are. We go, as the old country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. But when the younger son starts back to his father, what is his father's response? Celebration. What would God do if I came back to him? Celebrate. Come to me. All who are weary, and heavy laden. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we should probably see that that's really the only way to come to Jesus. If you've come to Jesus, but it's been in a self-confident kind of way, like, yeah, I mean, I've done some wrong things, but I'm really not all that bad. I just need a little, can you give me some minor tweaks? Then you've not really seen yourself, friend, for who you really are, and you've not yet seen him for who he really is. 
It's amazing that he's perfectly holy and righteous and true, and he is a God of love, and therefore he's unhurried and he's patient. We live in a discard uh, world. You know, we just discard everything, but God is not a discard God. When you choose to be out of fellowship with Jesus, you sentence yourself to restlessness, worry, and hurry. That's why Jesus stands there and says, come to me all who are weary. Now, I think it's important. We want to see all of Scripture um, right up here in Matthew 11, uh, right before this invitation to come to me, is this whole story about those who won't repent. So that is what I want you to see. Coming to Jesus is repentance. It's saying, I'm not going to keep going in the direction I'm going. I'm going to turn to him, and then I'm going to take his yoke upon me. So here, if you've got a sermon outline, here's the first kind of fill-in-the-blank point. If you want to follow along in that way. Learning from and being yoked to Jesus is the only way to find rest for your soul. So you see the invitation is unto something. And the invitation, are you ready for this, is to a yoke. A yoke. Like you might think, I thought we were talking about rest. Because is there anything that conjures up a lack of rest more than put a yoke on your shoulders and go out and plow a field, right? That doesn't sound very, very restful. Rest to us is uh, the beach and a chair with a good book that I might or might not read or a mountain view. I don't think anybody's ever said, I really need rest, so I'm going to go put a yoke on my shoulders and plow a field, right? So I think it's important for us to see uh, that, they, that, that there is a yoke. But it's unto something. And most people say, I don't want to be yoked to anything. Now, here's an important spiritual principle. Nobody is not yoked up to something. It's just a question of what is it? So if you say, I'm not going to be yoked up to Jesus, well, then you're probably yoked up to reputation. Or you're yoked up to accumulation of possessions. Or you're yoked up to approval. Or you're yoked up to success. Or you're yoked up to a relationship. And you say, if I just get him to go out with me or her to marry me, then I would really have rest and I would have life. It's not a matter of if you'll be yoked up. It's just a matter of what you're yoked up to. And the only way to have rest is to be yoked to Jesus. So, a couple things. First of all, what do you have to do? And I mean this quite literally. What would you have to do to yoke one ox up to another ox. And I'm already nervous because ox in the plural, that's going to get confused. So, so what would have to happen for one ox to be yoked up to another ox? And this is real simple. We're going to keep it real simple. Number one, he, he can't be yoked up while he's moving. You can't just kind of throw it on, right? So you're going to have to do one of the hardest things there is in this world to do. You're going to have to be still. Can you sit in your house, without a device, in your hands, for more than three minutes. Can you do that? Constant distraction. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the Romans 12 says. And we're going to get to a place, if we're not already there, it's not that your mind's not being renewed, it's almost that it can't be renewed. Because you've allowed it to be addicted to constant distraction. And when that happens, friends deception. It's not, it's not that you don't believe truth or think carefully. It's almost that you can't think. Got to constantly have distraction. 
So first of all, to be yoked up, you have to be still. You have to stop. It's an important word we're going to come back to in a moment. To stop, to be still, and to submit. Whew, that's the triple crown of things we don't like. You have to stop, you have to be still, and you have to submit. I don't want to get too much in the mind of uh, Satan, the liar of all liars, but he must be wildly pleased with people who are submitting to yokes of slavery while proclaiming how free they are. You can only put a yoke around an ox when it stops. And for most of us in the world right now, to be still in our hearts and our minds is really, really difficult. In fact, we try to keep distracted to distract us from how weary we are, which only increases how weary we are. That's why we, glorious invitation. Second, you're yoked up and then you learn from me. Learn what? I mean, that's the picture Jesus is giving. He's probably more uh, relatable maybe to that first audience than us because I've never been, I've never worked a pair of oxen in my life. I know that comes as a surprise to you, but, but what you do is you take the weaker ox, yoke him to the stronger ox. And that weaker ox can spend all his time trying to decide which way to go and what direction to pull. But once he submits to the stronger ox, the field's going to get plowed and the work's going to get done. So, so we learn from him. That would mean, friends, if you're yoked to Jesus, you're going to go where he goes. Where's he go? He goes to some really hard and dark places. He goes to the nations. Amen? He goes to the relationship that needs to be restored. He goes, and you know what I've noticed about Jesus? He goes first. He shows up first. So if you're going to be yoked to him, you're going to go where he goes, and you're going to do what he does. And you're going to move at the pace that he moves. And again, love is unhurried. Amen? Most of us are trying to go through life faster than he does. Not better than he does, faster than he does. One of the most striking things about Jesus, as you read about him in the, in the Gospels, is he was so very present wherever he was. Another danger of our day, these devices, and so we'll probably spend a whole Sunday talking about that issue, is they do something to, to, to your soul and to your mind that your mind and your body are never in the same place at the same time. Like you sit here, but your mind's actually a thousand miles away. That's never true of Jesus. It's not. He's very present wherever he is. So we're just tracking, we're learning from him. Take my yoke upon you. You're going to submit to me. You're going to learn from me. And then he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So, so first, you've got to be still. Second, you're going to learn from him. And, and then third, you're going to have confidence in his character, in his heart. This is the only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus ever says, this is what my heart is like. And here's the terms he uses, gentle and lowly. That's what his heart is like. So what does that mean? Well, in essence, it means he's willing to be yoked to you. I think I've shared with you before, when I was in the fifth grade, our family moved from Fayetteville to Rocky Mount in the middle of the school year. So went to Christmas or Christmas break, Fayetteville, back from Christmas break, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, right around at Benvenue Elementary. And I'll never forget getting on the school bus the first day, because here's the deal with fifth grade and elementary school, everybody's got their seat. So I didn't know quite how to time it. You don't want to get it on too soon, because then you sit in somebody's seat and somebody's going to come along 
and say, you're in my seat. And you don't want to get too late because then you don't know where you'll be left, right? When Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart, what he's saying is, I got a seat for you. Not just I have a seat for them. I got a seat for you. I've got a place for you. I've got a place at the table for you. You can trust his heart. And when Jesus, I can, I can assure you of this, if you're not yoked up to Jesus, you are yoked up to something, and I can assure you whatever that is, it's not gentle and it's not lowly. It's wearing you out, and it demands more and more and more. I know we've talked uh, in the past, but it's always helpful for me to, to, to remember, if Jesus isn't the king of, the, of your heart, you're trying to be. And a king always has servants. So if you're the king of your heart, who's the servant? Well, it's actually still you. That's why people are miserable, right? Because king you is telling you this is what you should do, but servant you finds out, I can't really do that. And then there's this constant bickering inside. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One of the things we get to rest from is self-righteousness and self-justification. But one more thing is the result. See, we all want rest, but Jesus says it's to be found in a certain way. Take my yoke, learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly, trust my character, and then you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week we learned from Jesus that if we're going to live in, uh, in obedience to him, we're going to do some things that he does, and, and where we ended last week was we see in his life that he regularly went to... Um, desolate or undistracted places to spend time with the Father. Remember that from Mark 1. And everybody around him is busy. And Peter comes up to him and says, everybody's looking for you. we got to go, 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 go. And then Jesus says, no, I'm going to another place. So we ended last week by saying, you've got to, you've got to have regular times away with the Father. I would encourage you to, spend, uh, to begin every day in the Word and in prayer. Because that's, the, that's really how you can begin to have fellowship with the Father. Which is another reason, can you see, that if you allow your mind to constantly be distracted, you're cutting yourself off from the vine. We're just branches. He's the vine. And then you got to say no to some stuff. It's where we ended last week. But, but we want to say no to things in line with the Father's heart, not with our heart. Because our sin nature is such that we're prone to say yes to the wrong things and no to the wrong things. So this is important, and then we'll talk about another way that we can follow in the footsteps of, of Jesus. I don't want to prioritize, I don't want to mistake prioritizing uh, my desires for the Father's. So we, we can be good at saying no to the expectations and demands of others but it's actually done in the name of following our self-centered priorities. And that's not what Jesus is doing. That's what I wanted you to see, right? So, so now let's take a few minutes and think about the next point. Is One of the best things we learn from Jesus is the gift of the Sabbath. One of the best things we learn about Jesus from Jesus is the gift of the Sabbath. So my wife helped me wrap this up nice and pretty, right? Kind of, everybody just kind of perks up when you see a, when you see a gift, Anybody want this gift? Well, this is just an illustration. It's just an empty box, just to be honest. So it's really not all that exciting. But maybe your birthday or Christmas just passed. You get, you get a gift. And it's exciting, isn't it? Now, you woke up this morning. What time did you wake up? How many of you, an alarm clock woke you up? How many of you, an alarm clock kind of needs to wake you up right now? Anybody? No, okay. How many of you just wake up? You kind of got that body clock thing going on. All right. How many of you 
Somebody else woke you up. A parent or a child. It might work one, one way or the other. All right. So when you woke up, this is what I do. First thing that goes through my mind is, what day is it? Right? That's usually what happens. And when you realize it's Sunday, do you think today is a gift? What, what day of the week does your life kind of revolve around? In our culture, what is it? Everybody's waiting, working for the Saturday or weekend, yeah. Depending on how well you know your 80s music, I guess, but yeah, Friday. Can't wait to get to Friday. Maybe can't wait to get to Saturday. But the Sabbath is a gift. It's where, in fact, look at this. This is, I didn't expect this, and then I'm studying this, and then I see this. So look at verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the next scene is a controversy with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. So I want you to see Jesus makes a promise of rest and immediately the Sabbath is challenged. So here's what I want you to take from it. If you want to find rest for your souls, I think I can confidently say it. We probably need to rediscover how good a gift the Sabbath is. So what is the Sabbath supposed to be? Life done well and right will value and be grateful for the Sabbath. We typically observe the Sabbath here on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Luke 24, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking with them the spices that they prepared. When they got to the tomb, hallelujah, amen, they found the stone rolled away. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So look right here. Now there's this controversy. It's always a controversy with the legalistic Pharisees. And by the way, can we just appreciate for, for a second that Jesus is ministering at a time where the Pharisees are really his uh, primary critics, and they're very legalistic. But you don't live in a legalistic uh, culture. You live in an anti-legalistic culture. You don't live in a culture of rules. You live in a culture of no rules, right? You don't live in a culture of, I have to do check all these boxes, for the most part. I mean, church, unfortunately, is where you might find the most legalism still left over. But in our culture, generally speaking, it's not legalistic, guilt-heavy, religious culture like Jesus is ministering. We kind of turn that upside down. But the Sabbath is just as dismissed in this culture as it was in his. We're just the opposite. This is a generation of no rules. Has that led to rest, by the way? Because that was the implication. And if we just get rid of the rules... All that'll be left is rest. Isn't it interesting that the generation that has most thrown out all the rules is the most anxious on record? Hmm, wonder why that is. Well, here's the truth. You need, choosing my words right, uh, carefully, you need a regular Sabbath and your creator knows it. That's why he's given it as gift. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Got a Bible, Genesis 1, just for a few minutes. Hang with me. Genesis chapter 1, because God's about to help us with some stuff. Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see that the Sabbath is a gift from the one who knows you best and loves you most. So let's not take lightly when he says you need something. Let's not say, ah, maybe. No, no, you, you need this. 
Kind of the way it's going to work in your life is uh, observing, remembering the Sabbath one day a week will have a significant impact on the other six days or your other six days, if you're not doing it uh, wisely, is going to impact the Sabbath. Does that make sense? One's driving. God tells us which one it should be. Genesis 2 verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We don't ever want to take lightly when the Bible says things like God blesses and God makes holy. Sabbath, by the way, is a verb. It's not a noun. Does anybody know what Sabbath means? Literally, it means to stop. To stop. To be still. But it's a, got a heart behind it. It's not stop and just stand there and be idle. It's a stopping that leads to something. And the best way we can understand it is, what is God doing here in Genesis chapter 2? Resting, yes, but it's a kind of resting. Maybe the best way we'd understand it is it's, he's, he's resting and he's looking at all that he's made and he's joyful about it and he's delighting in it. That's what the heart is behind the passage. It's not God just kicked up his feet and says, all right, I'm going to stop. God is delighting in all that he made. The Pharisees and where we tend to be is we just start to emphasize on don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And don't have a heart of saying, well, what are we supposed to do? We just go to our room and stand in the corner. That's the Sabbath. No. It's a day of worship. It's a day of delighting. It's a day of reconnecting with the greatest blessings you have. Likely your spouse or your children or your parents or your best friends. Sit at the table and stop. God, in these verses, is resting and delighting in what he has made. You can approach the Sabbath in resting and delighting in what he's remaking. It's a time of rejoicing and enjoying and delighting. And you need, friends, you need to do that once a week. Got to. If not, what happens? Well, let's put it all together. Why so many of us are so weary. Because we kind of know something different should be done on the Sabbath. We just don't quite know what to do. So in, let's get a couple of things to, to, to stop doing. We're going to take the word stop. Sabbath literally means to stop. So let me give you a few things to stop doing on the one day a week. That would be your Sabbath. On the Sabbath, we seek to, first of all, let's start with the obvious. You stop working. You stop working. Now, hey, you want some Holy Spirit conviction. It's not just don't go to work. It's stop thinking about work. Because again, your body and your mind can be separated. Well, I'm not at work, but that's where my mind is, right? So, so again, most of us never enjoy a Sabbath because we treat it for the most part like every other day. And God just told us, don't do that. Don't, it's not like every other day. Now, God does tell us to work six days. One of the reasons that we get to Sabbath and still feel like we have to work is we didn't obey that first part. Work the six days, right? And if you've got more work to do than can be done in six days, friends, you've got too much work. You've got limits. 
As a matter of fact, I was reading this week that all sorts of studies have been done about work and productivity. I mean, there's some atheistic cultures that, that tried to do it a different way. If you go back in history and read, and hey, we'll work 10 days and then take two off and so on. So, so here's what study after study after study has found. There is a number of hours you can work in a week. And then once you reach that limit, it doesn't matter how many more hours you work after that, your productivity doesn't increase. And do you know how many hours a week it is? 55. And you know what that is? Six days of work. Once you reach 55 hours, productivity doesn't go up, but I'll tell you what does. Weariness does, doesn't it? Amen? You need a day of rest when you stop working. But let's keep thinking about it together. You also stop wanting. Your heart is going to be full of worshiping or wanting, right? We live in a culture, can we agree on this, of more, 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 the more monster, more food, more clothes, more devices, more entertainment to consume, more square footage, more experiences, more, 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 more. And Sabbath is a day to say, enough, enough. I have enough. At what point in your soul would you say, I have enough? I believe it's when you come to Jesus. Amen. If I come to him and I still say I need more, friend, you've not come to him. A lot of fake Jesus is out there. Jesus talks about this all the time. I'm the bread of life. Right? If you come to me, you'll never hunger again. And what he's talking about isn't just hunger for food. It's hunger for more. Got to have more. Got to have more. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer writes this. If you want to break free from the restless, relentless yoke of more, talk about on the Sabbath, don't buy, don't sell, don't shop, don't surf the web, pull away from all that and enjoy. Drink deeply from the well of ordinary life, a meal with friends, time with family, Walk in the woods. Above all, slow down long enough to enjoy life with God who offers everything materialism promises but can never deliver on, namely contentment. That's a good word, isn't it? God delivers everything materialism promises but doesn't deliver on. It's kind of our day, man. We, we get our stuff faster. In fact, some of y'all have kind of put out with Amazon Prime because they said two days and it's been three. Where is my Stuff! You need a day where you say, I have enough. We sing that song sometimes. All I have is Christ. That's true. But wouldn't it make more sense to sing that and then live that way? Because here's how it's working. Either, if you'll, if you'll do this, take a step back and say, I have a day of enough. That'll actually spill over onto Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday. And you'll start saying that same thing. Hey, if it was true on Sunday, it's probably true today too. I don't need more wanting. So you stop working, stop wanting, and then you stop worrying. Y'all up for one more John Mark Comer quote? It's worth it. I tell you, it's worth it. Stop worrying. 
He writes, advertising is literally the attempt to monetize our restlessness. They say we see upward of 4,000 ads a day, all designed to stoke the fire of desire in our bellies. Buy this, do this, eat this, drink this, have this, watch this, be this. And y'all buckle up, because here we go. Social media takes this problem to a whole new level under the barrage of images, not just from marketing departments, but from the rich and famous, as well as our own friends and family, all of whom curate the best moments of their lives. This ends up unintentionally playing to a core sin of the human condition that goes all the way back to the garden. Envy. The greed for another person's life. And the loss of gratitude, joy, and contentment in our own. It's true, isn't it? You need a day where you stop doing some things so that you can do some other things. A day to stop working so you can rest. A day to stop wanting so you can be grateful. And a day of stop, to stop worrying so you can worship. Now, let's get practical for just a moment. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Here's what I've learned in my walk with the Lord. Most things that I ultimately delight in as a follower of Jesus have to begin with discipline. Does that make sense? In other words, they will become delightful, but on the front end, because of my old sin nature, they're often disciplines before they become a delight. In other words, say Bible reading. If you're going to wait till you delight in Bible reading to regularly begin reading the Bible, it'll never happen. But if you have the discipline and say, I don't care. I'm not looking at ESPN.com. I'm not looking at Facebook first thing in the morning. I'm going to get alone in the Word and say, God, this is your Word. Speak to me. And then if you'll be disciplined in that, here's the glorious thing about God. It flips. Flips. And what somebody once said you have to do, nobody else ever has to say you need to do it because you would say, I would never do otherwise. That's how the good things of God often work. So discipline sounds a little uh, like it wouldn't be this way, but you have to discipline the day of rest in order to rest. So I'll give you a couple of practical things. Number one, approach it as a day like it's not any other day. If you're in school, oh man, I'm going to sound like a parent now. Get your homework done before Sunday, right? Why? Because that's legal. No, no. So you can have a day to enjoy, have a day to relax. Maybe don't stay up Saturday till 2 a.m. playing the video game. You go to bed at a decent hour so that you come up. Because this church, man, we need you. We need, we need your vibrant faith to, to encourage us. Jesus, though, this is so important, is not inviting you into a day of rest. He is inviting you into a life of rest. Not a life of idleness, but of joyful productivity. What do you think heaven's going to be? Some people got in their minds, as we go to heaven, we just sit around all the time. No, no, no. Heaven is Sabbath. Amen? Worship and delighting forever and ever. So, in conclusion, the cross is where you begin. Can't be yoked to Jesus. You know what the yoke of Jesus is pretty much? It is a cross. 
any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Oh, what a word to self-fulfillment generation. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But here's what I want you to see. When you draw near to the cross, you stop working. Working so hard for approval, accumulation. It all done at the cross. See that the work, remember what Jesus said? Hear him speak from the cross. It is finished. It's finished. And the next thing, you'll stop wanting. The cross is displaying the love of God. What more could you want than that? When you see what you have in Christ, that next, whatever the next of the 4,000 ads you're going to see today, it'll start sounding a bit hollow. You'll say, well, actually, I don't need that. I'm never going to look like that. Don't send me another ab exercise, okay? Instagram, I got it. I need help. But I'm going to stop working. I mean, I'm going to still do my... You understand. And then it's at the cross you stop worrying. Because no matter what happens in life, and friends, some bad, hard, difficult, suffering things are going to happen in life. But if you draw near to the cross, you can say, like the Apostle Paul, what's going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, here's where we'll conclude today. Back to what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Mary has chosen. Got to be some godly choosing in you. The yoke of Jesus looks like the cross because there are things that have to die in order for you to live. And one thing that I believe needs to die is us treating the Sabbath in a way that God's not blessed and God's not set apart as holy. It is for us a day like no other, a day to remember the goodness of God. A day neither of legalistic demand nor careless dismissal, but a a day to delight in the Lord and the good things He's given us, beginning with the good gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll pray together and enter a time of response. And uh, just got two questions really this morning for you to think about. And then here's, here's what we do. We're going to sing. We're going to sing to the Lord. But it's also a time of response. If you've got uh, something on your heart, your mind, you want me to pray with you about it, it'd be my joy to do that. If you've never come to Jesus, let's say, man, my life has been yoked up to so many other things But I want to yoke my life to Jesus. I want to learn from him. I'm trusting that he's lowly and gentle. I'd love to talk to you. Here at the time of response, after the service, be my joy to talk to you. So here's here's the two questions. First of all, this morning, are you in fellowship with the Father through Jesus the Son? We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. Are you in fellowship with him? If the answer to that question is yes, then during this time of response, I just say fill your life up with gratitude and praise to the one who rescued you. If, it's, if the answer is no, what, what is the darkness that's got a hold of you that's keeping you from stepping out into the light? Friend, most people don't step out of the darkness alone. That's why we're here as a church family. Love one another. Pray for one another. To know one another. To spur one another on. I'd love to talk to you or another friend that you've got that may be here. And, and, then, and then second question is, are there any changes you believe 
God would want to make in your life in the way that you approach a Sabbath, a day of rest. And just listen to him. Listen to, think about what we've read in the Word. He wants the best for you. So, Father, I pray now in Jesus' name, having studied your Word, having looked at the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit now, you would bring well, what our King said the Holy Spirit would do to convict us of sin, righteousness, the coming judgment. God, that we'd be a people who are resting. What better witness is there in this restless generation than a people who are at rest in the Lord, who are walking in the light? May it be that we find our rest at the cross where all of our working and wanting and worrying can die so that better things can live. Help us to respond now in a way that's humble and in line with trusting that you are our great God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.